So close to 4,500. But now we're a good 30 handles away. A double tar- double top or the spoos is getting a running start into that area. A little bit more work to do today. We got some stocks moving here. It's a Wednesday. It's pre-market prep. Kind of feels like a Thursday with the with the holiday. But let's get it started, Mitch. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, traders and investors, we got a little red on the screen here. Overseas markets in the red. We're in the red by 23 handles, 46.6750. And that's the low of the session. The buck is up 19 cents at 102.84. Bonds down again. Bonds are telling us, man, there's more rates coming. Crude up 40 cents at 71.40, trying to get through that major resistance just above 72. Gold flat here basically at 1934. Silver really flat at 2297. Uh Bitcoin futures, they're down $455 at 30,635. Triple D, what is weighing on the index futures this morning in your opinion? Overseas markets. I mean, we were closed yesterday, but they were open basically everywhere else. Europe was down, China was down. You got a little spillover effect here in our markets, a little catch-up trade because we had a nice holiday, but while we were relaxing on the beach or breathing in our smoke, if you're up in our area, the other people were selling stocks. So a little catch-up trade here this morning. All right, a little catch-up trade. Good morning, Mitch. Let's bring you in here. And uh, yeah. we got we got some movers here on this Wednesday. Does it feel like a Wednesday? Does it feel like a Thursday? Does it feel like a Monday? I mean, having that uh, that holiday on a Tuesday. I don't know, man. Where... It feels just weird. <laughs> I, I'm ready for the Friday day. already. Can it just be Friday? Let's just I make it Friday, right? <laughs> All right. Well, investors today are definitely going to be eagerly awaiting the Federal Reserve's minutes uh, from June, set to be released at 2 p.m. today. Of course, these minutes could provide valuable insights into the future path of interest rate hikes In addition to that, look out for New York Fed President John Williams is expected to address the Central Bank Research Association at its annual meeting in New York City at 4 p.m. Eastern. So stay tuned for any updates from these events. I guess I'll go first here and I'll just say I thought it was a hawkish pause. I mean, you know, they did pause. Uh, Dennis, you alluded to uh, in the pre-pre-market show, you still see prices going up. I mean, is it a foregone conclusion that we've whooped inflation and that rates are all I think they're just cooking the books more, to be honest. I think that, and I, I do think this occurs. I do think that they take out stuff that's inflationary in the index. I do think that people have selective perception. And if they want to see a deflationary story, they'll find stuff. That has come down. We know some commodity prices have come down. We've talked about lumber coming down. We've talked about oil coming down. 
There's a lot of little things going up, though, and I'll tell you what is not coming down is labor and housing prices have come down in a little bit in, in where my area is, but they're starting to tick back higher here, too. So I don't feel like inflation is beaten at all. I feel like it's a little lull. I think the Fed knows it. I think that's why the Fed is still talking hawkish. I think the Fed speak will still be somewhat hawkish, and maybe that's what's making the markets a little more cautious. Yeah, they're not getting the desired effect, especially in the housing market and the travel, you know, uh, the travel stocks. I mean, people are still spending and they're spending it uh, at a good clip. So we do get the Fed minutes. I mean, you know, it's hard. You'll see the algos, you know, jumping around on that. But I mean, I just I think two quarter point. And if you look at the bond market, I could put the TLT up there. I mean, what is this saying? Ah, I guess the TLT doesn't look as bad as the 30 year bond. But man, I mean, this thing has just been in a trading range since the end of May. Hanging out at the lower end of the trading range, major resistance way up there at 34. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what the Fed speak is today. Rates still ticking higher. That's what the TLT is saying. That's what bonds are saying. And they believe the Fed. You know, where the equity markets maybe are calling the Fed's bluff, the bond markets are not. The bonds aren't taking off. The bonds don't think there's a pause towards the end of the year. The Fed has basically flat out said, you know, no reading the tea leaves, that they have no intentions of cutting rates this year, even though the market still hopes that, you know, we get towards the end of this year, we're going to start seeing rate cuts. I mean... I think we just got to take it at face value. And at a certain point in time, as we continue to go up in interest rates, it does become an attractive alternative to stocks. In my own portfolio, I've stopped buying consumer staples. I've stopped buying dividend yielding stuff. And I'm buying GICs in Ontario, 5.5%. I mean, it's been a lot of years since we could go that high. So that cash portion of your portfolio is performing. Now, again, it's not performing to the tune of the NASDAQ, but we've run a long ways. So is there time to take some profits and some stuff? I think caution here isn't a bad idea. And again, it depends on your overall portfolio and your, and your time frame. Yeah, of course, uh, we could take a look at the CME Fed tool and see what that's pointing towards. And we could see that's at 86.2% for an interest rate, 25 basis points, and only 13.8% chance of no hike uh, in the next meeting. Of course, uh, this will be interesting. The 26th of July is stated for that Fed meeting. And of course, I, I think that if you're still thinking that we're going to pivot this year, I think you're definitely not reading the tea leaves because it clearly doesn't seem like the Fed is even looking into maybe even next year for that pivot. So let alone this year, I think you're definitely uh, getting ahead of it if you think it's going to be The only year. way the Fed starts cutting rates is if the economy falls off a cliff. And, and it needs to fall off a cliff, not just go down, not oh, just yeah. stocks go down, oh, no, yeah. no, completely start crumbling, right? Probably financial conditions crumbling, right? One thing to consider, though, you know, obviously, is that stocks are inflationary. So, I mean, you're looking, you know, at people and saying, well, if inflation is still, you know, running around here and getting us, it's not bad to have some exposure to some stocks because stock prices can go up in an inflationary environment. They're inflationary in themselves. So, you know, that is a consideration. And it's something like, you know, why, you know, and I was bearish before, but why I was never 100% cash? Because what if you're wrong? So I never, you never like to go all in on anything. And I know people will be like, oh, yeah, I'm short this market. I'm 100% cash. There's still an overall 
100 year uptrend in, in the stocks. You know, maybe the next 100 years aren't going to be up, but I think with inflation, I think with everything else, stocks probably go higher in an inflationary environment too. But we just know the Fed's still there. We've had a pretty good run. I think it's prudent to bring the register on some of the tech stocks. The stuff I've been buying, bought some tech on dips, but you know, you were doing some buying here, Money Mitch. I was doing some buying here too. We're looking, you know, at some value stocks as well. You know, there is some stocks that are trading at attractive multiples. So especially relative to some, you know, 32, 33 times where Microsoft is trying to approach. So I just think, you know, a portfolio rebalancing here isn't a bad idea. Don't we have a big decision coming up on the uh, uh, Microsoft Activision deal? I think that that I think I saw that. Yes, uh, it's, uh, it's it's any day, any day, any yeah. day. And so that's the only thing about that one. So the trial and has that that's gone by already. So they've all made their arguments. Now it's just up to the judge to determine his answer. And so watch out for that, because when that comes in, definitely going to be some movement. Do you expect more more movement in ATVI than Microsoft? Oh, right? yeah. Microsoft will move a bit, but it's going to be the ATVI that's really going to move. Again, we know there's a $95 price takeout on if that was to fully get approved. I mean, that's where you're going to be heading. Um, if it doesn't get approved, I've argued here before that I don't think this is going back in the 60s where it was you know, pre-merger because we've seen EA and we've seen Take-Two have pretty strong moves here. I mean, Take-Two $147 here now. So here's an argument that even if it gets killed, the deal, I think ATVI is $77, $78. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come in and buy the dip on that. So I think on dips here, if there's a significant, if there's a, you know, an announcement and ATVI loses 10 bucks off of it, I will be trying to buy the dip on ATVI. Yeah, that was the only thing I think I disagreed with in the article there. Like, well, I mean, it, the, the article made two good points. One, is if you've been playing it for which the article merger. are you referring to first? Of I think all, it was Jordan? in Barron's over the weekend. Okay, it was in Barron's, and you know Wednesday. I'm still talking about Barron's, but uh, anyways, it, what did they say? They they just thought it was going to be some really substantially lower. Uh, I don't think I, I remember what the yeah. exact price was, but um, that was the only thing I looked at it. We looked at it a little bit different because the way those other stocks uh, rallied. And also, you know, if Microsoft thinks it's worth 95 bucks, and they're a pretty smart company and they don't get it, I don't know who else would be out there. Well, Buffett uh, thinks it's worth more money, too, because he yeah. still has it. And he was in it for the risker, but he's also said he liked the company. So ATVI PE. Right now, just trying to you know get some numbers here. Yep. Board P is twenty. That's right. At, you know that's right in there at a market multiple. So let's just comparatively speak on take two, which maybe board P's on that's forty six. And again, double. forward PEs are a moving target because we don't really know what those earnings are going to be. EA is nineteen. So I mean, you're right here. I think it's crazy to think that ATVI is going down to the 60s you know if they miss if they if the merger gets killed here i think it'll struggle to get through 74 to 75 i think it's got eight or nine points down and i think you're going to have dip buyers all over the place down there including me if atvi i'll just say right now my my own long-term portfolio if i see atvi go 10 bucks down on the announcement that the deal is dead i will be buying the stock it'll be really cheap I will be buying, exactly. It'll be 17 times forward earnings. I will be buying the stock, 17, 18 times forward earnings. It's another stock to put in my long-term portfolio. It's a good company. 
Microsoft likes it. It's going to be a major part in AI as well. These gaming companies, don't kid yourselves, are AI plays. Like they're going to be major AI plays in the future. So they're not talking about gaming companies AI plays, but common sense says it's going to be all over. You know, in, in metaverse too. I mean, gaming stocks are not going away. There's the yeah. three big guns: EA, Take Two, ATVI. They've all been pretty darn good stocks. So if a deal goes through, it's 95 bucks. If it doesn't go through, I think it dips. But I also think that dip gets bought. And I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up back at 80. So I don't think that there's I think there's downside here, but I don't think it's as much as Barron's thinks. How about all how about all the reverse arms, right? That are saying, no man, there's no way this deal is because there's been a lot of news sure. coming out and they're just getting jammed here, you know, that uh maybe having a short position or having the spread on a different way. They're they're praying. They're praying that this thing doesn't. And if it, you know, if it does, they're not going to get any better bad news than that. The deal not going through to look if they look to buy the dip. I don't know how many people are going to be short something, you know, at 78, 80 when there's a $95 uh, takeout on there. But uh, we'll see when it hits the tape. It'll be interesting to see whether it's during the during the trading day or after hours or they'll pull a halt or something. So. Just be aware, if you've been playing for the merger, you've been buying this stock the whole way up. It's decision day coming real soon. I hope I hope it dips 10 bucks because I'm licking my chops trying to get some ATVI back at $74. Okay. That sounds pretty good to me. All right, let's go to UPS as the Teamster Union representing around 340,000 workers at the United Parcel Service has stated that the parcel delivery company has walked away from negotiations <clears throat> over a new contract. This raises the possibility of a strike at the current contract covering UPS employees expires on July 31st. Talks are ongoing. We'll keep you updated on any developments on this potential labor dispute. This is a, one of those dips that probably gets bought. I mean, the stock is down four bucks on this. It's on a strike. It broke out on Friday. Now you get, you know, the, giving the whole move back on. Maybe there's a strike coming. It's never good news, but they find their way through these things. They never last forever. They're short term. I think the 2% fall back, pullback in UPS, I think is a buying opportunity. Big run up. I mean, this is a really tough chart because everybody, oh, excited. We're filling the gap, right? We're getting through that uh, that earnings high. Nothing but clear skies. But uh, they had a one, two, three, four, five, six-day winning streak. We're not even at Friday's low. Uh, fr or Friday, Monday's low. We're not even at <clears throat> Monday's low at 178.18. So I'd be the first right now as we speak. That'd be the first area I'd be looking at. And if it if it doesn't get down there early in the session, then you're gonna have to buy. You know, you probably have to buy this thing into a rising market. The close right up near the high at eight one eighty three seventy seven. I mean, this is kind of a messy chart, but you want to see a clean chart. Look at the FDX here. If you're an FDX trader here, fellow, and I know this news is related to UPS. Uh, yeah. But you've had a nice run up here, and you got a you got a, a what is this a, a triple top going? Uh, basically, you got a big area that means a big institution or institutions is parceling out. So it's just called two fifty, the actual high of the move. 
uh, was made in July at uh, 250.08. But uh, keep your eye on 250, 250, and FDX. That's a huge number. So it's been a big move for FDX. And I mean, you know, this thing, and I'm kicking myself here because I thought a couple times about buying this at 160 in the long term portfolio just because of the value that's there. And now it's 250, and you're like, man, sometimes you just got to not worry about saving yourself a buck or two on these long term, you know, great buys and great companies and just striking i wonder ups and I, again we're not nearly off you know the highs like we were in fedex 233 180 180 but you just wonder if this just isn't a long-term buy um i i see i look at more of a trading range stock i mean we, you talk about great companies and great charts and apple and but look at this this stock is basically below where it was in early 2018 so it you know there's been good dips to buying it but it hasn't been like one of your stalwarts right that i mean it obviously peaked during covid when or post covid in 21 when everyone was getting everything delivered still uh but yeah just keep in mind that you know if you've been in this thing since early 2018 you're basically flat and if you didn't sell that when the gravy was uh on the gravy trade in 21 boom you sat out a big ride to 22 but uh overall just not a great performer in my opinion and sometimes they just in taking it back to the fedex sometimes it's just a matter of valuation and i actually played this one very well i bought the stock man i gotta go back long time ago long time ago in like 2013 probably 2015 and the stock was 90 dollars, and you know it was just value it was trading nine or ten times earnings back then i'm like it's just too cheap and then it just expanded and it kept going and at a certain point in time i don't know where fedex trades now but at a certain point in time i think it was over 20 times earnings so it expanded a lot now it's kind of in the middle of 14. Sometimes just on these long-term and put your long-term, forget about the chart, forget about your trading glasses. When you put your long-term glasses, sometimes it's just about buying good companies at reasonable valuations and selling them when their valuations get stretched. And I mean, that's what worked for me for Apple. Obviously the sale hasn't materialized yet, but you know, I was buying that at 11 times earnings, 12 times earnings. MasterCard was a cheap one too. It's just continued to grow and you know, it's continued to expand the multiple. But FedEx as well. So, I mean, when it got to $300, it trained 20 times earnings. You're just like, maybe it's just a little bit too much. So, then it gets back down to 140. And it's get back down to 12 or 11 times earnings. You got to start striking. When these stocks, these good companies, get down to 11 or 12 times earnings, they're historically buys. It's the same as the market. You know, historically speaking on the S&Ps, when you get down that 12, 13, 14 times earnings, it's historically more of a buy range. And when you're up at 21, 22, 23 times earnings, it's historically more of a sell range. And that's the waves, you know, and you start going, you know, in the peak bubble, I think the S&P back in the tech bubble was like 28 or 29 times earnings. It got silly. The COVID bubble got up 25, 26. It got silly. So if you just take and, you know, PEs do matter. Again, when the story is hot, it doesn't matter at all. But overall, in the market, there's no story there, you know, and again, you know, drives price, you know, FOMO drives price as well. But I think that's how you've got to approach the long-term investing is more from a valuation standpoint and keeping an eye on those long-term multiples. Right now, we're 21 times, I think, on the S&P. We're historically expensive here. So just keep that in mind when you're loading up stocks in your long-term portfolio. You know, I and I really, I tried to argue, not argue, but discuss this with you and stuff when we were back and, you know, back at the lower end of the move. And I was like, 
it myself is is the market accepting uh, a higher multiple on the s p like when we were talking about it in like 16 17 18 and it's like well you know what's the reason you know earnings are probably going to come down a little bit but it it seems like these days i mean obviously in COVID and stuff but I don't know. Yeah, and you've actually reset your expectation. I mean, you're still trying to buy stocks, you know, that are close to the multiple. But I think I've even noticed you in some of these stocks. You're like, you know, like Airbnb. I mean, that's really, you know, that's still pretty expensive. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's over yeah. the last year and a half, two and a half, there's been like a little reset. Like we're not going to 12. We're not going to 11. We're not going to get down on that. At, at, at least the market's been accepting of that and buying things at a, at a higher relative valuation. I think you've got, under, and again, we'll bring Mitch into this conversation here too, but I think it's about understanding the potential for growth too and looking at that as well. I mean, Airbnb is a company that has grown earnings of 40%. It's not going to continue to do that. There's no way they can continue. You know, my buddy Capel pointing that out to me on Twitter um, there's no way it could continue to, to grow earnings at 40%. It would take over the entire, you know, hotel industry, whatever it would just be Airbnb. So that growth we know is going to slow. They're projecting it, you know, to slow as much to 15%. But even if you project that out, okay, forward multiple on this 36 times, definitely not a cheap stock, but still growing. It's not like it's three time, you know, 3%, 5%, 7% growth, 15% growth. It's still significant there. And is there that opportunity to expand into other stuff? You know, maybe Airbnb this, or you know, there's there 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 may be there. So there's an argument that this is not super expensive, but it's definitely not cheap, and you're getting you got to pay a little bit for growth. Now AMD, um, you know, at 30 times when I was buying it at 30 times, it's 40 times now. So obviously it's moved a long ways. But you know, I think there's you know huge possibilities that this can continue to grow substantially. If you're going to your trusty Benzinga, uh, Benzinga Pro. You know, the, the one-year growth rate on this is 43%. It's not going to keep cooking at 40 either, but it could cook at 30. And I mean, at 30, you're buying something 30 times earnings, 30% growth rate. You would be shocked how quickly that PE starts to come down when that growth rate is that high. It's why Apple, back in like 2007, 2008, 2009, when the iPhone was just coming out, Apple was growing so much. The stock price couldn't keep up with the growth. There was just so much growth happening there. And, you know, this is what people are arguing in NVIDIA when they're paying, you know, 50 times earnings or 60 times earnings. They're arguing that the growth is not going to keep up. So there is a time and a place in certain, you know, real growth industries where you can pay a higher multiple. But it's still overall, you've got to, you know, respect. If your company is growing slowly, you don't want to be paying 20 times. I mean, Microsoft at 30 times earnings. What's the growth rate on Microsoft here? I'm just looking, you know, 17%. So it's significant. If what's one year as well. So big company. I don't know if it continues to grow there. Apple might be a good exercise too. Again, just going to the Benzinga Pro and you can grab these numbers. Apple's revenue growth over one year is only 7%. EPS growth, 8%. You're paying 30 times earnings. Pretty darn close anyways, if I go grab it. Uh, 30, 29 times forward earnings, 32 times current earnings for 7% growth. Sounds kind of crazy, but a lot of people predict that there's going to be different you know, revenues and different you know, avenues for for Apple to continue to grow and get into different, you know, industries almost like the AI growth there. But there's definitely, you know, some value in looking at your growth rates and looking at your multiples together. All right, let's move over. The meanwhile, Wolf Speed shares are trading higher after announcing a 10-year supply deal with 
Renessa's Electronics Corporation for Silicon Carbide Wafers. Um, so, of course, that's going to affect uh, the kind of things that you need for certain semiconductors. Also, uh, should affect some solar names. Uh, but, of course, keep your eyes out. This Wolf getting a nice little lift. This is not a stock that I've traded often, so I'll kick it to you guys. What a move. What a yeah. move. Boy, the Wolf's out. Boy. Triple D, I'll, I'll let you find. This it. is a smaller stock. It's yeah, have you ever huge, traded this one? I don't trade this one. I have, but it's a huge move off of this deal. I don't know. Like, I don't follow the company's fundamentals whatsoever. So I can't say how much this is going to add in revenue here, but it just seems like up 16% for a deal with <laughs> silicon carbide wafer supply deal with Renaissance Electric Company. This isn't Apple or Amazon. <laughs> I know. I should, I I'm said like, that. I don't know. Maybe this company's bigger than we know this deal, but I'm like, holy, this seems way overdone. Again, stocks get way overdone, though. And it was sleepy and it was setting up technically well. So, you know, so you do have, you know, traders who are probably positioned in here, but man, this seems like an overshoot. I think, I think the way you have to look at this one, I don't, I, I haven't been active in it either. I don't even think I've ever traded or lo even looked at it. Um, like, what would be your expectations if you were long the stock and you had a target today and you're like, man, I hope there's some good news on this thing. And just when I look at the chart, to me, like anything over 65 here, really 65 to like 67 and a half, that would be like gravy, you know, in the short term, unless it's just, just going to be an absolute runner and people are going to be doing deals on this. I absolutely wouldn't be buying it up on uh, nine bucks. And if I was looking at early in the session, I'd say, can it get to that 66.99? That's a buck away. That would be a nice target, of course, when you take out the pre-market high. But uh, big move on the you know, just uh, some news, a contract, a company that uh, we're not very familiar with. So if you got a target in the 65 to 67 area, I'd be uh, I'd be looking at it today because that's where it is. Jake right. and Brat talking about the short interest very high in the stock, too. Is it? So that could be another driver. Yeah. And again, yes. this is always a moving target. So it's hard to get this exact number mm -hmm. um, because, you know, some of the data is, you know, collected over and it's two weeks and some places that can get it faster. I mean, it's just, you know, a moving target because there's people continuously shorting the stock and continuously buying the stock. So it's always a moving target. Jake's saying it's 24%. Brad's saying it's 15%. In any regard here, it sounds like it has some short interest, which might be the driver here as well. All right. Now, I do want to state here uh, that Wolf did get a investment just Wolf. recently on uh, June 26. It received a $1.25 billion investment led by Apollo. Um, so if you're looking at what could potentially be uh, kind of helping it also, that one came in on June 26, really got it started. And then now a nice little supply deal getting it going here. So we'll see what happens here in Wolf. Wolf Speed Inc., all right, let's move over. Um, let's talk a little bit about something that's uh, more macro related, but also going to be affecting some semiconductor. Uh, the chat already mentioning it. Let's get to it. The breaking news, of course, coming from China as the government announcing new regulations for the exports of two metals used in computer chips, solar panels, and even military applications. Uh, of course, uh, buyers of galadium and germanium uh, will now be required to apply for export permits starting from August 1st. So China currently produces the significant portion of the world's galadium. Um, and now, of course, this is going to have 
different implications for various industries globally. Um, China fighting back. And I feel like uh, this is something definitely to pay attention to because we keep battling on their side. Now they're actually starting to have regulations against us. Holy. So do we know what companies this <laughs> yeah, that was I don't wish. know nothing yeah, about palladium or anything that has computer chips, solar panels, or military applications. So all semiconductors, essentially. They're all not really responding much in the pre-market because they're not down any more than their betas. NVIDIA is down 0.9% with QQQ down 0.59%. That's almost an under. AMD got an upgrade today, so it's actually trading higher here. Yeah. Um, some of the other chips are down slightly here. The SMH, if you want to grab them all, is down 0.7%. But that's right on. That's actually under what you would think with the beta. Usually it's almost two to one lately. And we're only seeing it not even down twice as much as the market here. So the market definitely shrugging off this headline, if it cares at all. Um, I would just say, you know, chips are still getting bought on dips here. You have analysts just take the AMD, for instance, gets yeah. a dip and oh. then the upgrades start. I mean, there's the problem is that, you know, it's positioning by the analysts themselves and analysts, whether you like them, whether you think they're all idiots, whether you think they're all awesome, it doesn't matter. They drive price. Analyst action drives price. It can change narrative. It can drive narrative. It can keep stocks going for a lot longer than they deserve to go. I mean, there's been a lot of NVIDIA upgrades that just keep pushing the price higher here. So it's hard to be bearish NVIDIA above 400. It's hard to be bearish a lot of these chips as long as they're trading, you know, and that they're still holding their, their overall uptrends here. So as long as they're still trending higher here, it's hard to just think that this chip rally is over. What was the day that we got the, that um, the stock got submarined off of uh, off some news off? Uh, um, it was last week. It was um, the twenty seventh, I believe. We closed at four eighteen seventy six, opened at four oh six sixty, bottomed right just above. Yeah, the it was the Biden. The Biden yeah, is yeah. saying that they were going to put potential and this was from the wall street journal and we talked about the language we we talked about the language in that which is why it was a buying opportunity it's like contemplating or was saying thinking about basically there was nothing imminent happening here and that's why we felt like you know when they were selling nvidia off 15 points in the pre-market it was an overshoot and it was an absolute buying opportunity and that's when AMD put in that quad bottom. Remember, it was trading underneath that level in the pre-market. Never saw it in the regular session. Actually opened up right at that area. Now you get the upgrade. I just did uh, some quick math on this one. If you got a target here in AMD, you bought it off uh, that, you know, the good technical formation as well as a gap fill from earnings. Halfway back here is 119 and a half, 120. Uh, you have a, a daily high right in that area too, one nineteen one at one nineteen nineteen. But uh, using the news there, to, uh, uh, good good buy the dip after a gap fill. AMD, Nvidia is kind of all over the place, but uh, that rebounded strongly uh, as well. And what else would fall? Like LRCX, would they fall into this category? Wow, they they all. all there's right. so many so what, They were all down. They all what we should fall. also look at, and of course, is the, the material suppliers like MP um, Spin, and lithium suppliers. Um, uh, and that's what you should be looking at. Not necessarily only just right the semiconductors that use it, but the people that actually make the underlining assets here. Um, and just a kind of correction here, uh, just want to definitely correct there. 
It's gallium and germanium, of course, but pay attention to that. I would look deeper into each semiconductor company to see how much they use. But of course, just knowing that China has the majority of this, this is why they're holding it back, right? They hold about 80% of the market. So of course, they know where to hit us. So I think this is something bigger in the long run that we need to pay attention to. It might not affect semiconductors now, but in the long run, I think this is definitely going to be some headwinds. Yeah, but how much is really going to happen here again, too? I mean, this is all just, oh, well, U.S. is threatening to do this. Well, I mean, if they attack Taiwan, this. there you Half go. This is, boom, boom. Th that's a whole different argument here, though. I mean, when the day they invade Taiwan, and We're Mitch, toast. we have argued this point before. Yeah. The day China invades Taiwan you are going to see the biggest sell-off in the markets that we have seen in a decade. The Ever. day that happens, the markets are gapping down. The S&P is gapping down 5% that day. I'm not joking. The, you're going to see chips. You're going to see Apple down 8 9 10%. And you're going to be like, what is going on? That day that happens, the markets implode. We don't know if that's going to happen. We, we've talked about this for a year now, and it hasn't obviously happened. Elon Musk thinks it's going to happen. I think it eventually is going to happen too, which probably keeps me out, definitely out of China stocks because you think Apple sell-off is going to be bad. Your Alibaba sell-off is going down 40% that day. I mean, it's going to be insane how much stocks will go down if, if. China does yep. indeed yep. invade Taiwan. It is will be insane. But that we don't know if that's going to happen. So... You know, we think it might happen. There's definitely a non-zero probability that could happen. But, you know, putting a probability on it really is impossible. We can just say it's non-zero. And it keeps me out of China. I would own right now. I would be long Alibaba. If we didn't have any risk of invasion Taiwan, I would be long Alibaba. I would be long FXI probably. I would be long probably Baidu. I would be long JD. But I'm scared to own any of these things because of that probability. But, you know, tariffs and different things is a lot different than invading Taiwan. Uh, Yellen's going there over there, too. So Yeah, that, Yellen. The, yeah, so that's, you know, we'll let's play nice. We'll see. Both we'll ends see, of the right? state, I, I mean, that's something definitely that we need to keep our eyes on. We'll see if that expands or not from China and actually hits the stocks. Let's go over it's a to... Risk. There's a yeah. risk there. Right. There's definitely something to keep an eye out for. Let's get to our guest segment today. You guys out there, smash the like. Happy 4th of July, David. The day Happy after. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. So we usually get you on like right after earnings season and get your evaluation. We a little bit of a lull here. Uh, but, you know, why don't you put a, a bow on Q1? I think a lot better than a, a lot of people expected. Right. I don't know if that was off lower expectations and give us a sneak preview into Q2. I think you're right. Uh, numbers came down a lot. So, again, you're right. They, they beat sort of a lower hurdle. Uh, and I think that that's kind of a game Wall Street plays. Uh, but I think the big story coming out of Q1 is just the amount of liquidity that was injected in the economy. A lot of it related to the banking crisis uh, and the, you know, because the Fed recognizing that the 
sort of tightness in lending that's going to inevitably come out of the the banks, uh, you know, having a scare there is additional tightening in general. And I think they more than compensated by ensuring that there is plenty of money uh, from a fiscal and a monetary perspective in the economy. And I think that's a big part of what drove the rally we saw here at the end of the second quarter. And I think the big question for the second half of the year is how much liquidity they're going to continue to pour in. Because if they start to tighten, I think we're going to see a major comeback in a lot of these names, especially the high flyers like NVIDIA and the zombie stocks. And so um, I think that's it. I think, we, you know, we could think the Fed uh, continues to try to walk a very fine line. They want to rein in some of the successive spending without bringing things to a crashing halt. And it's hard to know if they can 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 do both. I mean, the economy thinks they can do both. Stock market, well, not the economy, the stock market thinks they can do both. I'm not sure that I've, you know, been in that camp, but right now the stock market's fully getting driven by FOMO. And I mean, what changes the narratives? Because we can worry about all these things that David, me and you and, you know, Mitch and a lot of us were worrying about for the last year. And, you know, none of these risks, the stock and some of the stuff has started to show up. The stock market still doesn't seem to care when does the stock market actually start caring about higher rates? When does it actually start caring that, hey, maybe, you know, there isn't going to be a soft landing or maybe there is? When does the stock market actually start to care about the Fed? Yeah, if I had that answer, we'd, we'd be doing <laughs> this on, on my jet, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I think that's, I think the Fed would like to know that too. And, you know, and Dennis, I also feel like that the, the stock market is really driven very differently than it was in the past. You know, there's the old sort of lead steers analogy where you got a kind of bunch of big money folks that kind of lead the market. And I think that has been debunked for a while, but I think more than ever, right? I think especially with order flow, I think it's the retail constituents, the retail self-directed folks, mostly driving the market for mainly one reason. The institutions with payment for order flow and other things, they know where the market's going to go or when the retail folks are going to change their mind before the retail folks know their minds have been changed because they're seeing that order flow. So I think what that means, and we definitely see this manifested with particular stocks, what that means is that you can have significant dislocations for extended periods of time because the folks that know enough to understand that it's really a dislocation can trade out of it before it rectifies because they got the order flow. So I, I think it's going to take a, it's going to be difficult to change that narrative because I think there's a lot of self-directed folks who like FOMO. It's been good to them. And I don't know what it's going to take to rattle their cage enough for them to say, you know what, it's over. Because I don't think they ever want it to be over. I mean, most of the crypto story, you know, and move Bitcoin aside, maybe Ethereum aside, but there's, you know, a thousand coins or more than that that are all just driven by a story with no fundamentals whatsoever and all driven by FOMO. And I mean, you know, yes, a lot of that market crashed and burned, but a lot of it's, some of it's still holding up. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, people, you know, maybe even some, I think I believe that some of these investors and some of these coins kind of know they're fundamentally worthless, but that they think that they're going to be able to get out in time from, you know, another person that's just willing to pay more. So, I mean, the FOMO in the crypto markets, you know, has, you know, kind of went down, but still there. So, I mean, you've almost got to get the FOMO out of that stuff before it even starts to go into, you know, equity markets, which actually do have some fundamental value at some point in time. I agree with you. I think it's going to be, it's got to be a gradual, and that's the goal, I think, for the Fed, for it to be a gradual process, for the sort of slowly choke it out uh, of the market. And I, I think the 
and you never know where it's going to hit first. I mean, earlier this year, we saw it hit with some recklessly run banks. I think it would make sense for the crypto to be a next spot just because that's where speculation is the most ridiculous. And then there's plenty of places in the stock market where you've seen the exact same pattern, Dennis, where stocks that were ridiculously high flying, it came down 80, 90% and then went on another run, Carvana, Beyond Meat, Robinhood, some of these, Peloton. Uh, and you just wonder, okay, well, when will they come back to earth and how can they continue to defy gravity? And that, that's, the, that's the question of our time. We're on the line with David Trader, David Trainer of New Constructs. Uh, David, what what would you say to the um, the investor or the person that said, you know what, the Fed really hasn't done much this year, just because of what you alluded to earlier, that you know, with the banking crisis, they still pump plenty of liquidity into this market. Yeah, they've raised rates, but you know, maybe we're just standing still here. I mean, uh, just going off your earlier point, I mean, really, has there been that much monetary tightening going on? Uh, in terms of quantitative tightening, I think that there's been a more bluster than there has been action. And yeah, I think they had to sort of pull off uh, in, in, the, in the first half of this year because of the banking crisis. And, uh, and they've done, I mean, rates have come up a lot, but, you know, has it been that impactful? It's sort of it's hard to say for sure. I mean, there's a lot of folks that believe that maybe the Fed has overdone it because there's such a long lag between the rise in rates and the actual decline in, in the economy or the impact of that rise in rates. And, I, you know, no, nobody knows for sure. <laughs> right. When the Fed says they're data dependent, I think what they're trying to say is that we're not sure. We're trying to we're trying to see how things unfold. And uh, it, it's I don't have the answer to that. I, I do think things feel <clears throat> a little bit tighter at times. And then we have runs like we saw in, in June where things go from ridiculous to more ridiculous. And so um, I think that this is part of the inevitable. I feel like slow and gradual tightening. So I, I kind of I believe to in a narrative, like I mentioned before, that as opposed to maybe, you know, historical Fed regimes where they came in and just started chopping off heads, you know, in terms of raising rates uh, and bringing things to a crashing halt. I think this regime is looking to try and do it a little more gradually, let the process take a lot longer. And I think to Dennis's point about FOMO and how much they like it, or retail investors like it, the only way to cure someone of something like that is to make it not work for a long period of time. Otherwise, it's by the dip. And, and I think the distinguishing change in behavior that we're looking to achieve here is that people become discerning about where they allocate capital. They're not just chasing returns for the sake of returns. And that's a, that's a long-term habit. Now, one thing that we just saw as of recent, of course, the IWM starting to come up, some small cap names starting to trickle their way higher. Uh, one thing that I'm focusing on is will these zombie companies ever come right back down? I mean, ARKK starting to really get the lift, growth stocks starting to push. I was in that camp for a while there. Carvana to zero, Affirm to zero. I have flipped of course, and started to be like, well, just doesn't look like the cash burn matters here because it, yeah, it came down, but we quickly see how it gets picked back up from the FOMO buyers. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of back to what we said before, Mitch. I mean, it's, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, uh, and, and the, 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 it just makes, makes no sense. And it, and it continues to do that for a while. It's sort of think we feel like that. Yeah, you can be nonsensical, but that can't last. 
And as it lasts, you're forced to you know capitulate, capitulate in the way that you have. I mean, I remember back in the, the tech bubble days, colleagues of mine early in the tech bubble who sort of were resoundingly, you know, hey, this is nuts. We're not going to do this. I'm not going to fall for it. Yeah. And after a few months or a year or so, I don't remember how long it was. I remember they would sort of come to me like a con- confessional and say, yeah, David, I want you to know I bought some of these stocks. You know, I, I feel bad about it, but, you know, um, I believe in the greater fool theory. Well, FOMO is real and FOMO is in everyone. It's not just retail. It's not just it is in human nature. FOMO is real. I fight FOMO myself, you know, and like sometimes you just got to, you know, just say, yeah, this doesn't make sense. I'm just going to ignore it. It's better just take it off your screen as opposed to, you know, do something dumb. David, there is some opportunities here, though, and maybe we should talk about that because we can talk about, you know, the markets, you know, tech stocks being overbought or potentially pulling back here. But there are definitely other opportunities here. There's not, you know, you know, this crazy, you know, bull market and everything. The IWM has underperformed massively here. There's a lot of components of that that are sitting near 52-week lows are not far from it. The banking sector has been an absolute disaster. Is there anything you're looking at from a value perspective right now that there's an opportunity to actually buy stocks at reasonable valuations? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say the answer is, is yes. You know, <laughs> we, we think that there's a lot of opportunity in basic materials, energy, and financials. Uh, we've recently recently written up some uh, some ideas around firms like Steel Dynamics, Nucor, uh, a really interesting company called Warrior Met Coal. Uh, What's that? Symbol on that one? HCC. And you know what we like about that is is that most people just throw all the coal companies out with the bathwater because yep. they think it's just bad for the environment. It's part of this ESG greenwashing, and. Uh, Warrior Met produces a very particular type of coal called metallurgical coal, as opposed to the thermal coal, which is bad for the atmosphere and is used to create uh, you know, electricity and heat. Metallurgical coal is used to create steel. And the demand for steel is going to be driven, interestingly enough, by the demand for ESG equipment. So wind turbines and solar panels all require a bunch of steel. Uh in, in addition to that, you've got huge spending on infrastructure in the United States. It's going to drive demand for steel. So we think this Warrior Met Coal Company is it's just it's trading as if its profits will, will permanently decline by like 80 percent. So it's the price implies it's going to go out of business. And uh, we think that demand is going to be strong for a while. So uh, that's an interesting play where, you know, where people, I think, got the wrong kind of coal in mind. What about some of these other energy stocks, too? Sorry, Joel. What about some of these other energy stocks? I mean, you've got valuations which are depressed because oil prices have, you know, gone down significantly from where they were. I mean, not, you know, as much as, you know, obviously where we were a couple of years ago, but we're off the high significantly here. Do you think there's other value here in other energy plays? Yeah. I mean, we like a lot of the major energy players, Shell, Total, um, even Exxon's starting to look good uh, these days. We think that those are great businesses. And when you do the research, you do the math on that too. Uh, I think we even heard the CEO uh, at the Aspen Ideas uh, Festival last week or a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but he made the point that, look, the demand for energy is growing faster than the supply of alternative energies. So fossil fuels, Demand is not actually expected to go down much at all over the next 50 years. And that comes from the International Energy Association. So the idea that the that all these energy companies are just going to be going out of business, it's going to be terrible, is unlikely. Secondly, we feel like the distribution capability of these big majors uh, 
uh, is really strong. And so as they diversify into alternative sources of energy, they're going to continue to do really well because whatever they're pumping through the system, they're going to be able to make a profit. We like So we like a lot of those companies too. David, uh, before we let you go, I'd like you to comment on one thing that we were discussing earlier, and that was historical valuations in the market, right? <clears throat> Going back over history, 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, 13 you know, uh, PE, is, it's been the spot. It's been the sweet spot. If you were waiting for that on the recent decline in the markets, well, it didn't get there. Of course, some stocks did. Others didn't, you know, some of the growth stocks. But do you think that there's like a, a reset going on, that there's a higher bar as far as like overall valuation in the S&P that's going to be the new 12, 13, going to be 16, 17, 18, something like that? Love to hear your comments. You can make an argument for that, you know, coming kind of out of the the Kathy Wood playbook. Uh, I think most of her analysis is misguided, but I think in general you can say that there's more innovation uh, and, and more um, – sort of opportunity for those higher valuations in a place like the S&P because these companies are innovating and creating at a higher rate uh, than they had in the past and that that is a general sort of positive trend in the human race and we're getting smarter and better at that. Uh, and, but I do think it's, I do think that in the, at this point in time, we, um, you know, we're maybe a little ahead of ourselves on that. I don't, you know, it's manifest in a few places, but not in all places. And right now we think most everything is a little bit too expensive, except for some of these stocks we mentioned where we've, we feel like we found some diamonds in the rough and some safe places. But for the most part, that, that concept is, is misguided. It's been around for a long time. This this idea of creative destruction uh, and, and the sort of increasing rate of innovation over time is, is not a new concept. I think it's been co-opted by some to sort of, justify some pretty silly investing but long term do we end up being a little bit more expensive than what we were uh in the you know, beginning of the 20th century and mid 20th century i think the answer is yes david trainer founder of newconstructs.com giving us some excellent fundamental analysis on the markets david thanks for joining us we'll get you back on again soon thank you good to see you guys all right, let's get back to the market. Let's take a look at how we're doing right now. Are we leaking still, Joel? I think I think the market still thinks it's the Fourth of July or something. At least since we've uh, began the show, uh, yeah. we did. Yeah, we did make a little dip. Uh, took out the pre-market low. It uh, uh, previous low was sixty-seven fifty, uh, but then we didn't get very far. Sixty-six and a quarter. It just feels like things are firming up a little bit out there. Triple D, what are you seeing on this your This is end? historically a very slow week. You know, you don't have a lot of earnings. You have a holiday in the middle of the week. You had a half day to start the week here. So it's a three and a half day, no yeah, earnings, a little, a little bit of Fed speak. I mean, if you were going, if you were a trader and you were looking to take a vacation so that you're in high likelihood not going to miss a lot of action, it's this week that you pay. So I would expect, you know, to be quiet. I would expect, you know, not, you know, maybe get a little bit of chop, but I don't expect, you know, huge moves in either direction. I think we're just having a repricing from what Europe was doing when we were closed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, we're going to have this crazy moves. And I don't think there's a lot of catalysts. There is Fed speak. The minutes, obviously, you know, are coming out, what, two o'clock the minutes? 
Five minutes? Yes, sir. Two o'clock. Yeah. So that can be a driver. So two o'clock. But after that, so let's get to Thursday and Friday. I think it's going to start to get really quiet. So we're going to have, you know, some fireworks here, maybe at two o'clock with what they say. But again, are they going to say anything we don't expect? I would expect the minutes to still show they're being somewhat cautious with inflation, a little bit hawkish, and they're probably going to stay the course where they're looking to raise next meeting and potentially the meeting after as well. So I think the market kind of has the Fed figured out. They're kind of, you know, that's one thing about Powell is he doesn't sugarcoat much and he doesn't really talk cryptic here. Like he kind of tells you what he's thinking and he kind of flat out spells it out for the market, you know, and he really has. I mean, you can say, oh, look what the Fed caused a sell off back in 2021. Well, I mean, where would inflation be if the Fed wouldn't have started raising rates? So, I mean, he played he talked about raising rates three months before he ever started raising rates so i mean he tells you what he's going to do and the market trying to figure out oh yeah they're going to change their mind or this or that i mean yeah. just listen to fed and take his word at face value up powell his word at face value because he has not lied very much uh i mean if you're sitting on uh, pins and needles waiting for the bellwether of the economy levi strauss um, they uh, they announced earnings on Thursday after the close, and uh, there's no reports today at all. And then yeah. the other companies I barely recognize. But I will say there is a potential catalyst on Friday. Of course, the first Friday of every month, we get our non-farm uh, payrolls, the unemployment mm -hmm. rate. That hasn't the CPI's been the number that's been moving things, but uh, if you're looking for a catalyst, uh, you know uh, a major catalyst, fundamental catalyst besides the Fed speak, then uh, tune in Friday morning when uh, uh, we'll cover the jobs number. All right, let's go to Netflix here as Goldman Sachs has upgraded Netflix to neutral and raised its price target to 400, citing the company's successful execution of its password sharing initiative and regain momentum in content creation. I do know somebody that's been talking a little bit about this password sharing thing. I'll let him kick it off. What's up, Dennis? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, this is the driver of price here. I do believe subscriber numbers are going to go up because people aren't ripping off from their friends as much anymore. So <laughs> it was a good call for them to grab more to, to stop the password sharing to drive subscriber growth numbers. And I think you're going to see that in the numbers. And I think that's going to be a major driver going forward. It's like, holy cow, look at all the subscribers they picked up. Yeah, because it was half the people were just ripping it off of their friends. So I think the Netflix is a buy on dips. I've continued to be bullish this for a while. Sold my stock way too soon. Thought about rebuying it at 320. Obviously should have. And now, you know, I look at it at 440 and think, wow, I missed the boat. And holy cow, did Ackman screw this one up. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dennis, when, when you did buy it, and I, I remember, do you remember how low the valuation got, it got down, down to 16 it? or 17 times? 16 or 17, yeah. And again, so so again, this is the way I approach my long-term buys is like I buy good companies at reasonable valuations. The Netflix valuation got the most reasonable I think it's ever been. I don't ever, think it's ever, ever traded. I don't think it's ever traded 15 or 16 times earnings. And where is it now? So if we bring it up here, the reason right. I sold it again at 3, 310 or 320 when I sold it was because the PE expanded to 29. The stock doubled. So now it's 38 times. So, I mean, are the numbers going to be good? Yeah, I think that mm -hmm. PE actually forward PE, it's 47 current, 38 forward. I wouldn't be surprised if it's only 35 times here because I think you're going to see the subscriber numbers go up. Um, but, you know, again, 
you know, the multiples just expanded. So, you know, that's when, you know, Meta, it was the same story. And, yeah. you know, obviously we should have all bought Meta back when it was $90, but the thing got down to 12 times earnings, 11 yeah. times earnings. So Let's it might have even been less than that. Let's stay with Netflix Outlook too, and and yep. what really affected it, right? Well, what what knocked it down? It started losing subscribers, right? And then that really kind of brought that downturn. Good people. And then what brought it back up? Well, it just started getting the subscribers back. The ad tier got it going right back to the upside. And now I've heard mentions that they're even taking away the lower tier of Netflix to try to get a little bit more money. Um, I saw that from a mention from Canada, uh, Canada's Netflix. So that probably shifting over to the U.S. pretty soon where the lower tier might go away and you have like this higher tier or you have the, the ad tier. Um, so one thing also to look at was Netflix for a while there was starting to lose momentum on content creation. Everyone was starting to talk about the different uh, kind of availability that was out there disney plus was starting to go right uh you had discovery plus you had hbo max the truth is none of them do content like netflix let's stop thinking that any of them can do content like netflix yeah because the truth is they cannot they cannot compete at the content level that netflix has i, I would say disney does just as good a content but they don't do enough of it so, and this is with my argument, they needed we to put more about, resources yeah. into Disney Plus because they can produce really awesome content. So I do believe Disney can create superior content than Netflix, but they just don't have any. I go on Disney Plus and there's nothing new to watch ever. You know, they get a new Star Wars series every once in a while. Half of those sucked. So, I mean, maybe they're trying to pound them out and they're trying to pound them out too fast. Andor was pretty good. Um, the Luke Skywalker or the uh, the Anakin Skywalker series was pretty good, but I mean overall it was kind of disappointing. The Mandalorian, the first season was awesome, and the second season, and the third season sucked. So I mean, I guess you know maybe they're trying to go and they're trying to get the content out faster, and it's maybe you know making it a little bit more inferior. But Netflix is always something new to watch. They just need if Disney really is serious about streaming. They need to put more resources to it and start getting more content on there because otherwise they're going to lose subscriber numbers in that Disney Plus. And and the big thing there is Disney said what when uh, when Iger came back he said that no they would spend less on content and I already said that was a bad bad news there that's not good news that they're going to want to spend less on their content they need content on that disney plus so they're going to lose subscribers. if you want to put that much money into developing the product you've got to feed it content new content all the time we talked about this two years ago disney if you're listening get some new content on there it's just not enough even if some of it's not that great give us something to try to watch half the netflix stuff sucks let's be honest here half of it's really crappy but you know what? There's always something new to try. And, you know, it's like they throw the crap against the wall and see what sticks. There's so much stuff on Netflix. There's always, you know, a dozen new shows, I feel like, every day. So we need content. That's what these things need. And that's what they don't have. And that's what Netflix is fantastic at, is produce, producing quantities of content, even if some of the quality isn't that great. Something new to watch. Higher the move in Netflix. If you've been waiting for that, it's 445.27. Uh, you did get over it a little bit uh, in the uh, in the pre-market training. Keep an eye on that. Uh, if you're more focused on daily highs and the high of the move, uh, 448.65 is the high of the move. 
And uh, second high is 47.51. So coming up on some potential resistance. Also, I looked at this one, you know, how we've had a lot of, of these big stocks uh, take back over half of their move and get back near all-time highs, make new all-time highs like Microsoft. Uh, this one, uh, the halfway back is 432. So it's already taken back half of this move. And uh, let's see if it can build another base here and uh, – and move higher. Next monthly high comes in at 458. Uh, S&Ps, I'm just going to wrap things up here on my end. Sure. Just kind of a quiet morning here. Uh, down, We're down, but not out. Let's see if we hold that uh, that pre-market low at uh, 66 and a quarter. That was right near the inner day low from Friday. So found some good things to talk about on this yeah. Wednesday here, uh, a holiday week. Everyone, uh, have a great trading day. We'll be back with you later on. I'm going to hop as well here, so we'll leave it up to Money Mitch here. We'll be back at you tomorrow. I'd expect some movement at 2 o'clock, and then I'd expect quiet markets for – I would expect quiet markets for Thursday and Friday as we're really into this holiday week here. All right. We'll see what happens. Like always, you guys can keep up with Dennis Dick and, of course, Joel O'Connor on Pre-Market Prep Plus and Dennis Dick, Triple D Trader on Twitter. Give him a nice follow. I'm going to get you guys over to, of course, some trading action. That's coming up next. Live trading. Yes, we got it back, team. We're going to be all back there. I think uh, Ryan right now is traveling to the headquarters, but I should have Zunaid in the chat. So definitely stick around, team. Don't go anywhere. Got some live trading coming up next. And, of course, we'll get some more for you guys. I did want to wrap up some of the news items of the day. Um, so we got a couple more to just really quickly run through. Of course, AMD did get an upgrade today from Northern Capital. So uh, Northern Capital Markets giving a little bit of an upgrade. We'll see if AMD can keep running today. We'll see what happens there. An interesting one for me is uh, initiating coverage, Jeffries, on Hertz. This is one that I've been watching. I've been talking about how Avis budget started getting going. That was, of course, a uh, car. Uh, you guys can see how that started to move. I'm taking a look now at HTZ to see if this could really get going. I know that this seems like a little bit of a stretch, but um, with this mention, a price target of 24 I'm going to look to see if Hertz can get a little bit of a, some squeeze action today. We'll find out about that one. Uh, Citigroup did upgrade Rig Transocean to buy. So if you guys are looking at shipping stocks, this one looks interesting to me. Definitely on a trend line break. You can see how this broke right here. So I'd be looking for pullbacks closer to seven, but we've already taken off from there. Next spot on the highs is closer towards 764s. We'll look to see if Rig can keep moving to the upside. And like always, team, stick right here. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's market outlook. We covered a range of topics from the Federal Reserve minutes and speeches to regulatory change in China and significant developments in various companies. Stay tuned to pre-market prep, of course, for further updates. And remember to make informed investment decisions. We'll see you next time right here on pre-market prep, the number one morning show to get you ready for your trading day. Hit the like button now to get you over to live trading. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere.